0: This episode of Zero to Travels brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available, intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Today, five reasons to visit the Florida Keys. Haven't done a good old-fashioned destination episode in a while, and it's fun to just dive in and get some of that history, hear about some of the sites, the food, the culture, And this is a destination that has eluded me for far too long. So when my buddy Aaron, host of the Armchair Explorer podcast, mentioned he produced a show for the Florida Keys called Florida Keys Traveler Podcast. And asked if I'd bring the host, Elizabeth Lasley on as well as the producer, Jason, who was there taking audio. I thought this is a great way to explore the Keys, get some of that Florida Keys vibe going and whisk you away to this unique destination. So let's do it. Buckle up, strap in. Thanks for being here. And welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel
1: podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host world wonder and travel junkie, Jason Moore.
0: Hey, what's up? It's Jason here with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. And per the usual, whenever I do these list type episodes, I do rank them from five to one, and I'm just curious as my number one. It ties in with a personal dream. I'm wondering if anybody out there shares the same dream or has had this experience in the way that I want to have it that you're going to hear me describe in this episode. And of course, along the way, we're going to talk food. We're going to talk water sports, history, a whole bunch of fun stuff. And at the end, if you will stick around, you'll hear a short episode from the Florida Keys Traveler podcast tying in with my number one reason to visit the Florida Keys. And if you do share this stream, I think you're going to enjoy some of the audio you hear in the hat. So without further ado, let's get into it. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. This is going to be confusing because we have another Jason on the line, and I'm excited to welcome the hosts and the producers of the Florida Keys Traveler podcast, which uh, you'll hear a little bit of at the end of this show. And uh, first, I'll tell you why I was excited to have you guys on, but I want to first say Elizabeth Lastly and Jason Patton, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friends.
2: Oh, I am so excited to be here.
3: Thank you so much for having us
0: talk about starting off on a weird foot. I'm going to tell you that the Florida keys is one of those annoying destinations for me. And here's what I mean. This is in a good way because you, you guys are familiar with some of those destinations you have that you're like, you don't know why you've never gotten to it. Like you've been so close to it so many times and it's, it's just a place you've wanted to go. And yet it, it has eluded you time and time again. That's the Florida keys for me. So that's why I was excited to have you guys on. <laughs>
2: Well, there are lots of reasons to visit the Florida Keys. Maybe not the reasons you think. Okay. Well, uh, you sent over
0: a list of, you know, a lot of the topics that you covered on the podcast, and it got me reinvigorated to visit the Keys. You know, in my head, I just started off first with the drive, because I think in the movie True Lies, like the the old movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jamie Lee Curtis, they were driving over the bridge, and it's like the epic bridge and all the water. I've always wanted to do that and you guys sent me this list and I started pulling things and I said, you know what? I'm just going to pick my five favorite things, the five reasons to visit the Florida Keys and we'll just count down from number five to number one and you guys don't know the list but I'll let you guys kind of like riff on these things and ask you some questions and this way people will get a little bit of an audio tour of the Keys. Does that sound like a good plan? Sounds wonderful. Sounds great. Okay. So uh, on my number five... And I'm a fan, although it's been a while since I've read one of his books. The Ernest Hemingway Home and Museum, and this ties into like the bigger question: Why is this like a writing destination? What's the connection to Ernest Hemingway? I kind of want to make this, you know, I want to learn about a bit about the history and also what it's like to visit this place.
2: Well, that was one of the highlights for me because I'm a writer and I'm a huge Hemingway fan, and so it was so fun to go to the Hemingway home and museum. And it's interesting because the Keys drew... Well, Hemingway came. Originally, he came because they, um, his friend John Dos Passos had recommended that he come to the Keys because he loved Spain. And in, in Key West, there's a huge Cuban influence. And so Dos Passos thought he would like that. So he actually originally came to he and his wife. This was his second wife, I believe, and they came to buy a, a Model T Ford, and they had to wait a few weeks in Key West while they while the Ford was going to be delivered, and they just fell in love with the place. And then, and actually, an uncle of his wife's was the one who actually bought the house for them. Nice uncle. Uh, <laughs> the wife at the time was Pauline Pfeiffer. And uh, her, she had a, a rich uncle who was a very nice uncle. They bought this. And it's a beautiful, it's a mansion, but it's not, you know, overwhelming. It's just, it's just very lovely with lots of galleries and inside, outside things. Jason, what, what was your impression of the Hemingway Home and Museum?
3: Yeah, I just remember being struck in particular by it seemed even older than I would have expected, and I remember learning while we were there that it—I it, think it had been abandoned before it was purchased by Hemingway's family,
2: right? Right, because he
3: didn't buy the house, right? Um, and uh, so it had sat it abandoned after it was owned by some baron of an industry from like years past, if I remember correctly. So it had this very very grand colonial feel to it, and. Um, my favorite fact that I learned while we were there was that the uh, it was one of the first buildings to have uh, an indoor bathroom, I think, in the area, and it was actually just in the maids' quarters. Do you remember that, Liz?
2: I do. That is a, a fun fact about that about that house. And the other thing is it, to actually be in the place where Hemingway was, and it's one of those historic houses where most of the furniture is actually from. When Hemingway lived there and it was all old stuff because this was during the depression. Nobody had much money, not even Hemingway. And so to actually, you know, see that the couch that, that Hemingway sat on and to the dining room table where uh, he had, you know, famous people come and, and most of all, you get to type on his typewriter. He actually, when he lived in the Keys, he wrote Seventy percent of his published works were written when he was in when he lived in Key West, and he would get up every morning. He had a special catwalk built from their bedroom, he, his and his wife's bedroom. Pauline, he and Pauline's bedroom was it's beaut- They have a it opens onto a veranda because it's you know it's hot and they have it's all sort of open air. Well, he had a catwalk to go across to his studio so that as soon as he got out of bed in the morning, he could go over and start working. He had a rigorous work ethic. It didn't matter how late he'd been up drinking, how drunk he was, and he did a lot of that. (laughs) But he was religious in his work ethic up every morning, and he would go across to his studio. Now, the catwalk is no longer there, so you get to it by a little circular staircase, but you can actually type on the typewriter where Hemingway wrote things like "To have and have not," I mean, it was it was such a thrill as a writer, just to be there, and that is the great thing. And uh, Jason, host Jason, um, I, I I know your philosophy of travel is is about a the transformational nature of travel, but also the. The thrill of actually being there, instead of just reading about something or seeing it on television, the thrill of actually being in that place. And the Hemingway House is is a place where you definitely get that feeling.
0: Yeah, uh, you can call me Jay, by the way, to avoid Jay. confusion oh, for the rest okay. of this uh, interview. Just call me Jay. No, I mean, I'm I'm putting I'm getting the chills because I'm putting myself there, and I'm thinking. One time I was in Chicago and I got to shake Buddy Guy's hand and I felt like, oh, is he giving me, like, am I going to get some of Buddy Guy's mojo for my guitar playing, you know? And I, <laughs> I feel like I'd feel like the same with uh, Ernest Hemingway's typewriter. It's just like if you touch the keys, it's like some kind of magnetic force going to shoot through your body. And the next thing you know, you're, well, you're either like passed out on the floor with three bottles of whiskey <laughs> or, you're, or you're writing the next great novel. I don't know. I mean, it seems like it would be a pretty incredible place to write.
3: Yeah, and that's something that uh, they do invite uh, writers to. uh, Well, they don't invite them for free, of course, but you can pay money and get a residency there and uh, type in the same room that he wrote some of his most famous stories.
2: Yeah. That's really cool. They have that program. Doesn't that sound exciting?
0: Yes. Uh, So you mentioned the catwalk, and now I'm going to do a (laughs) terrible segue to cats. I'm calling myself out on my own terrible segue because there are (laughs) these six toed cats there, I guess. And I was just having dinner with my mom who's visiting from the U S and she starts she's like, Oh, and they have these. I said, no, no, don't tell me. She's like, started telling me about the six. To- I was like, I don't know anything about it. I want Jason and Elizabeth to tell me the story so I can be totally surprised. So can you just tell us about the cats? Cause I have no idea what's
2: going on with that. Well, they are six toed cats and they are descent. What happened was a Navy friend of Hemingway's gave him a cat. The Navy who knew, Bred six-toed cats because six-toed cats are better at everything cats do that the Navy likes them to do, like when they're on ships to go to, to catch rats and to catch mice. They're better, that, that extra, they have an extra on their front paws. They have six toes instead of five, and it makes them better climbers. It makes them better able to catch a lizard or a rat. And so the Navy would actually breed for that, uh, that variety. And so Hemingway was given a cat. I believe its name was Snow White because his they had just been to see the new movie downtown about Snow White. And then Snow White apparently was a very popular girl and she had lots of litters. And so uh, then they had cats and lots of cousins. Now, what they tell us, we don't know for sure, but what they told us at the Hemingway house is that all the cats there are descended from 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 Snow White from those from those first cats, and they're about I don't know how many, but there there are lots of them, and they're all over the place, and they're so sweet and they're so cute, and uh, they just it really
3: gives you like the feeling uh, uh, of what it would have been like. Yeah, it makes the home feel so much more lived in and more authentic. You're seeing it how Hemingway would have seen it with all these cats running all over the place. I'm sure there's more now than there were then. Um, but it, and it's also just a little bit trippy because you're in this, you know, mildly museum environment, a lot of like very you know, old furniture and stuff. Don't sit on the couches. Don't sit at the table. And then meanwhile, there's just cats stretching out on the oldest table you've ever seen in your life that had some of the most famous movie stars of the golden era of Hollywood sitting around it. And the cats just, you know, maybe clawing it a little bit because it feels like it just cat stuff, you know.
2: Yeah, it it really lends a hominess to the place. And you you stand at that dining room table and realize that and, and what And one thing that surprised me about Hemingway that I learned from being there was his sense of humor. I I didn't think that much about him having a sense of humor, but apparently he would do things like he would name the cats after famous people. Like we, well... I guess today, I think the staff names them, and we met one named Babe Ruth, but like he would name a cat Ingrid Bergman, and then Ingrid Bergman would actually come and sit at that table where we were standing, and Hemingway would introduce Ingrid to Ingrid Bergman the cat. (laughs) And I was just, I don't know, it's just like a little, a side of Hemingway you don't hear about a lot. And also, because he's known for being this great hunter, he really did love animals, and it, you know, it may seem incongruous, but I do think I do think hunters do and can love and have a respect for animals. So uh, he was crazy about those cats.
0: Yeah, and cats don't give a crap, like you said. I mean, they will lay everywhere, right? They don't. They don't care. <laughs> if the table's like.
3: I'd swear they were aiming for the more antique stuff.
0: Oh yes, <laughs> yeah, and, and, yeah. And, and that sounds like a cat. They're just like, yeah, that thing looks really old. I'm going for it.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Ken okay, Liz, do you remember in the garden uh, speaking of his sense of humor, there was the he he made a point to retrieve i think the urinal from his favorite bar downtown and turned it into a planter of some sort? maybe it was his wife that turned it into a planter, but I couldn't rem- i could there was a, there was some funny quote about why he did it, it something about how he just couldn't bear to leave it behind after all the time he'd spent standing at it or something like that? Yes, I think um, he
2: turned but... it into it was it was either a planter or maybe it was a a watering thing for the yeah. for the cats. Yeah, you have yeah. to go visit to, <laughs> uh, to visit the the museum to to get the the actual facts. But yes, things like that you see really throughout the the museum, and also by the end of their time there, uh, Pauline and and Ernest were not on the best terms. So um, they they did some sort of you know rivalry things that you learn about there. But it, it, again, it humanizes. The man it humanizes the the great writer, and and of course the other thing about Hemingway the other reason that he loved once he got to the Keys once he loved it was he was a, a superb fisherman, and a, a tr- truly apparently a talented fisherman. And they have at the home museum they have a, a model of his own of his boat, which was called the Pilar. He was really a master fisherman, and then other. Now, he wasn't necessarily the first, but a lot of people came to fish in the Keys because, and then a little farther up on the Keys, Isla Morada, they call that the sport fishing capital of the world because like, you have the confluence of the Atlantic Ocean, the Gulf of Mexico, the Florida Bay. They all come together in the Florida Keys, and it draws all different kinds of fish. So you can fish for, I don't know such a great variety of fish. And they have like the, I don't know, the world's leading records of, of uh, you know, the biggest fish caught, uh, that kind of thing, uh, because it's such a great place to fish. And that was another thing that Hemingway loved about living in the Keys.
3: Yeah, not just the variety of types of fish down there, but the quantity. I mean, Les, you and I stood at the dock in Isla Morata and just watched charter boat after charter boat come in tossing. You know, they had this ritual they do where they would toss the fish that they caught into everybody's buckets because it, it just piles, piles and piles and piles of fish. It seemed like how could you throw a line out without pulling something back in?
0: That sounds incredible just to see. I can kind of feel myself there a bit with the old furniture and everything. I, I, just had a, I just had a marketing idea for the Ernest Hemingway Home Museum, by the way, if they want to put AI to use. How about Drunk Hemingway on Twitter? I mean, wouldn't that be entertaining?
2: <laughs> maybe. maybe <laughs> I mean, could you
0: just plug maybe. a prompt in there and just see what comes out? I think that could be pretty interesting. Okay. I do want to move into my number four, and it's, it's food, but it's one specific thing because my favorite dessert, a pie dessert, is key lime pie. And I live in Norway. You can't get key limes here. And so when I go back, like my my dad and my stepmom used to live in, in Fort Myers. And like the first thing I did was go to the Publix grocery store and buy a key lime pie and ate like half of it. So I know there's a cultural mix and a lot of food in place, but I just want to focus on the key lime pie. We talk about the key lime pie. <laughs>
2: Well, it has a very interesting origin. Jason, would you like to tell the story or No, shall I?
3: I'm going to leave you the origin and then I'll I'd like to talk about Kermit a little oh, bit, a character okay. that we visited down in the Keys, but once you tell him that origin story, it's super interesting.
2: Well, you have to understand the Keys went through several cycles of boom and bust. There were industries that would start and then they would go bust. Well, uh, at one point, one very important industry in the Keys was something called sponging. Now, a sponge, you know, not like the little sponge that you have at your kitchen sink, but the real sponges.
3: The live animals.
2: They're live animals, yeah. They grow on the floor of the ocean. And so for a long time, there would be, uh, this would be like in the 1800s, they They—they would spongers, and, and boats would go out for days at a time, and spongers would fish for the sponges. And they would pull them up in ways so that it wouldn't destroy. They would pull them up, but they would let, they had like hooks that they would hook the sponges up. And then they would do it in such a way that the sponge could, then the rest of the sponge could reattach itself. But they had to stay out for days at a time because they'd pull the live sponges up and then they had to dry in the sun and apparently smelled terrible, but they eventually dried. And then the skeleton that was left was what then became a sponge, it would be more like it, the old fashioned sponges, and we maybe look a little bit more like a loofah. Okay, so they had to be out at sea for days at a time, so they had, uh, you know, not a lot of fresh food. It's all hot down there, and one of the things they had was condensed milk because they would put it in their uh, Cuban like uh, uh, cafe cubano. They put it in their coffee, and so after they'd been out for a few de- for several days, they still had the c- can of condensed milk. They had key limes because they had that out there. A lot of times they would do it to help preserve the uh, the food they had, the fish, or they would flavor the fish they had, maybe make a ceviche or whatever. So they had key limes and they had the condensed milk, and then they also had this Cuban bread, which after a few days gets very um, hard. And so what they would do after they'd been out for a while, they would squeeze some key lime juice into the condensed milk and they would put it someplace, uh, the coolest place on the boat. And the boat, with the movement of the boat, there they, would, they would, would kind of make a kind of a pudding. And then they would put some of the sprinkle of the ground up Cuban bread on top and then they would just eat this kind of pudding straight from the can. And that, they say, is actually the origin of key lime pie. <laughs> and, and then later, there was a woman who worked for a, a, a big mansion there, Aunt Sally, she was called. She actually then was the first one, they think, to actually then take that combination and actually bake it into a pie it did not originate at the public's grocery store then
0: no I'm definitely not there and okay.
3: the wildest thing that i found was that key limes aren't green
0: what color are they liz they're yellow yeah i thought they were i thought they were green. i guess I know, they are I know. Kind and of. it's
3: i mean and it's still like the unofficially adopted color is green for example we did a tour of a key lime shop in downtown key west uh, owned by a gentleman named kermit who was quite the character. We rolled up and he was standing out front in a completely green suit, uh, chef's sh- uh, clothing, I would say. Um, and his shop had key lime everything. Key lime shampoo, key lime deodorant, key lime motor oil for all I know. good Goodness, everything. Um, and we did make some key, key lime pie with him. Um, and it, it green is still the color. But yeah, the actual key limes themselves, yellow.
0: Okay, now I'm a little jealous because, first of all, that shop sounds amazing. Uh, secondly, the oh, guy's yeah. name's Kermit. So that's super <laughs> cool. <laughs> Kermit Carpenter. I have a lot of travel things in my bucket list or whatever like list of things I want to do, but I also have other things. And one of them is make a key lime pie and you got to make a key lime pie in the Florida Keys. And I always think it's such a wonderful travel experience when you get to have a food where it was invented or, you know, like you go to Naples and you have pizza, or, you know, you eat Mexican food in Mexico or like, you know, and like, it's like your first time there and you're doing it and you're like, oh, it's happening. Like, I'm, you know, I'm eating pizza in Italy. I'm eating a uh, key lime pie in the Keys. So anyway, I mean, I think like for me, that reason is just reason enough to go. We'll get back to the interview in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Now, back to the show. If you guys don't mind, I'll, I'll move down to my number three because I had this as a general uh, category, but then I thought, let me hone this in a little bit. So the general number three, because I just think this is an enjoyable and a great way to spend the day, is water sports. But then I was like, let's kind of like narrow this down to kayaking because kayaking is a big thing in Florida. And I know you guys mentioned on your list or some kind of secret garden thing. I didn't really know what that was about. So I was really curious about that because that sounds like something if I was there and I like walked by a flyer on the street and saw that I would be like, yeah, I want to do that.
2: (laughs) Oh, well, yes, we did two kayaking trips when we were there. One was kayaking to a place called Indian key, which was a whole other experience. But the the Secret Garden was yeah. There's a there's a man named Bill Keo who is uh, an author, photographer, naturalist, and he has a company. I think it's called Big Pine Kayaks, and he takes people on kayaking adventures. And you set forth. We left from Big Pine Key, and you go out and into the into into the ocean, and then the, there are all these mangrove islands. All these islands really are. Well, they were originally actually the, the part of actually the Florida Keys were originally part of a coral reef, but then the islands are are all of mangroves. So he takes us out, and then first of all, you look at the all kinds of different fish that are in the water under you. The you know the little fish swimming by, and he points at and he says, "Oh, that's a something a." call Mahara or something like that. And you, you, and then as you're going by these mangrove islands, we noticed there was like a little opening, tiny, but you could hardly see it. And, and I, and I, I said something about that and, and, and Bill Keough says, oh yes, would you like to go exploring? And we said, well, Yes. Who answers no? What traveler is going to be like? Nah, I don't want to go exploring. You never, yes, you never say no, right? Like that's a leading question to a
0: traveler if I've ever heard one. Oh,
2: totally, totally. (laughs) So he takes us, and then, and first of all, we have to. Minimize the size of our kayaks because we have, you know, the double, double paddle kayaks. He said, well, we have to make them into one, one, just one paddle kayaks. And once you're in the mangrove, he called it a mangrove tunnel. And you go in there and then you pad, instead of paddling like a kayak, you paddle more like a canoe with one half paddle and you paddle on each side. And then once you're in, you kind of move yourself along with the branches of the, of the mangroves. Okay. Okay. First the thing you have to understand about the keys is that it's spectacularly beautiful. I mean, wherever you are in the keys, the colors, the the colors of the, you know, the different aquamarine and, and cobalt blue and different shades of blue and the water. And then the sky is just amazing. It has this amazing light. And so it's just spectacularly beautiful wherever you are. But most of it is you know it's very busy and when you're uh when you're out in the ocean even you you can hear the highway and and you hear lots of noises once we got into that mangrove tunnel it was so quiet wasn't it jason and
3: oh it was it was beautiful and the tunnel description is just so so accurate Jay, you had mentioned uh, earlier what Explorer would say no, you know, when you're prompted with those opportunities. Well, I was tempted that day because of the nature of the tunnel. My one big fear is spiders. And uh, I looked at the tiny entryway that we were uh, about to enter, you know, pushing our way into this mangrove, uh, this mangrove tunnel. I, and I'll, I'll say the entryway was pretty narrow. Once you got in and you're pulling yourself along, it's not that big of a deal. But the first thing I saw as we approached, it was a big old spider web stretching across the uh, trail. And you got a picture. Uh, I'm recording all these uh, adventures trying to record uh, Liz here, who's our host and the guest, whoever the guide is in this case, uh, Bill Keel. And so I'm sitting in front of the kayak, very, very lazily not paddling because uh, my hands are taken up by uh, recording equipment, of course. And so I'm sitting in the very, very front of the front kayak with our with our guest guest. So who's going to be breaking through the cobwebs? It's, of course, this guy. <laughs> so I was tempted, but we soldiered on. And once we got through, and like Elizabeth said, just the, the beautiful isolation from any of the surroundings around you, the water, uh, what the mangroves that surround all of these keys do is it, it like uh, chills out all of the waves. So there's not really much wave action actually coming up to shore um, because the trees in the water kind of kill that motion. Uh, it's what protects like the land from all the hurricanes and stuff like that. So you you leave the ocean and get into this mangrove tunnel and all of a sudden it's just calm and the water's perfectly clear. You're watching fish jump out, uh, you know, fish chasing other fish jumping out of the water. These really cute little crabs scurrying all, all over the tree branches. And something that I do... Uh, with these recording projects is I always try to capture the sound of the spaces we're in. Uh, you're probably familiar with this, Jason, where you got to get room tone from the different, you know, the different recording environments to be able to layer in later. And I just ask in almost all these situations, like if everyone can just uh, be quiet for about 30 seconds, just listen, just just hear what's going on around us. And it was something that Bill doesn't, usually do he actually said he was going to steal that idea for his future trips just like make everyone sit in silence for a little bit because that that stillness uh the keys is a vibrant place it's an exciting place it's often a very very noisy and exciting place but to get out and to actually just settle down for a little bit especially after the exertion well i'm sure i'm sure it was it was there was some exertion i wouldn't know i was sitting in the front (laughs) it was nice i bet to take a little break in there
0: as travelers, I think this is a good travel tip, right? We just talked about is I'm a bit of an audio nerd too. I love audio, but sometimes the, that aspect of, of the travel experience gets lost. Like just the, let me just like use this, my listening sense and just take this in in a different way. You know, a mangrove is a unique natural habitat, a, a unique thing, a, a unique ecosystem, I guess I'm trying to say. So it's not everywhere that you go that you get to explore a mangrove. So I think it's really cool when you go to a place where you get to have something that's you just don't find them everywhere, right? No, it's certainly
3: yeah. a super unique environment. And it just felt so improvisational and raw because it didn't seem like there was any established route. You could just explore and go. Like It happened, as Liz said, she was just like, hey, that looks like a bit of an opening and well, let's go that way. And once you're in, you just kind of follow the twists and turns. Maybe it's a little over here. You're just pulling yourself through the mangroves. And I, I feel like your listeners would have to like look up a picture of it to really understand. But these like, almost bush-like trees that just come out of the water and leave this very empty space right against the water itself. And you're at the perfect height on a kayak where you're not scraping your head on the branches above. You're almost in the water itself, just cruising under this beautiful canopy. Very, very like you said, Jason, a very unique environment.
2: And then we got to a little place where there was like a little opening uh, uh, in the in the tunnel. And that's what I call our secret garden because, and then we just, yeah, and, and the things that you hear, and then he would tell us. Bill Bill Keogh told us that we learned about how the fish and the birds operate because they'll hear, you know, when when the kayak comes through, it like you know, there's there's noise, and it also you know moves the water a bit, which makes fish move. And apparently, the barracudas are very clever. They wait for that. And then they, when the kayak goes by and you know, gets the fish going, then the barracudas can eat the fish. And also, there was a there was a green heron. I think Bill said that that she, that, that, that she would just wait again for the kayaks to come through <laughs> to stir up the fish because it was meal time. <laughs>
0: Nature knows. Nature, Nature knows.
2: knows. And then just yes, and 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 when you were, you could hear the fish. You know, jumping and you could hear the sounds of birds and even the creaking of the trees sometimes. And then when we went back out, then, we, you know, you, eventually we had to leave and go back out. It just, we felt uh, exposed, didn't we, Jason? Jason.
3: Yeah, well, going straight from a very, very you know insular mangrove tunnel straight back out to the open ocean, and then having to we we in that day in particular we had the uh, the, the blessing of uh, the wind at our backs on the way to uh, the keys, so it was a pretty easy trip. The way back, uh, wind was against us, and again, I I don't I wasn't I wasn't struggling at all, just sitting there. But it was it was probably a bit of a, a bit of a
0: uh, hike to get I back. Mean, Jason, you did your job. You broke all the cobwebs and the spider webs. I mean, I guess you recorded some <laughs> audio too along the way. Yeah, <laughs> um, no, I'm kidding. I want to move into the number two. We only got two left, building up to the number one. Okay, I was corrected on this because I originally said beaches, and this is one of those. Hey, if you haven't been to the Keys, you you don't know. So I'm not allowed to say beaches. I was I was corrected on that. <laughs> it's something else, right? I mean, there's there is a place to go swimming. I'm, there are places to go swimming. I imagine. How, how does oh, it... you can
3: swim. You can swim everywhere. But the Keys <laughs> themselves are just built on a coral reef, and coral is uh, not it's not sand, that's for sure. So it's not, you you know, people might go there expecting to see that, you know, the like Daytona beaches or something like that. It's it's not that it's something very different. Plenty of swimming opportunities though, its own type of beautiful.
0: Well, what I was looking for, Elizabeth, I I was going to ask you, maybe tying this in with, you know, like sunrise and sunset spots or a place to spend a, a day swimming or something like that. And then a general sort of conversation on what they're doing to restore the reef, because I know, Obviously, that's a that's a big part of of this as well, and there are ecosystems struggling all over the world. So I, I was really curious to hear what they're doing down there and and if they're using any of those
2: practices in other places around the world. Absolutely. Well, as Jason said, they, I mean there are a few beaches in in the Keys, but 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 they're not again not like Daytona Beach. The main thing is the reef and. The entire, wherever you are in the Keys, whenever you go into the water, you are in the Florida Keys National Marine Sanctuary. It's a protected, it's 3,800 acres of protected waters. Like when we were kayaking in the Mangrove Secret Tunnel, we were in the Marine Sanctuary. When we kayaked to Indian Key, we, you don't, you know, unless you get way, way offshore, you are in the Florida Keys Marine Sanctuary. And The Florida Reef is, as Jason said, the the Keys are built on a reef, and the reef, between the reef and the mangroves, that's what protects the Keys. The reef is about, it's the the Florida Reef, and it starts up um, above the Keys. It goes all the way, it's about five or six miles offshore of the Keys, uh, follows the Keys all the way around, clear out to the Dry Tortugas, which are about 70 miles west of Key West, because the keys curve around you know south and west from the mainland and the keys uh, and the floor and it's the only florida i mean excuse me it's the only coral reef in the continental united states and like all coral reefs around the world coral reefs are in trouble and in the florida keys they have a huge huge effort to save the coral, the coral reefs. They have something called uh, iconic coral reefs, and they, and we met a couple of scientists that are just passionate about this. Uh, one is a guy named Ken Niedemeyer. and what he does is he grows. He has nurseries that are in the in the water. They uh, they, they actually grow corals on like I don't know ropes that, that are like trees. They, they call them trees, but they're underwater, and like midway between the shore and the reef. And then they, once the cor- the coral gets to a big enough size, then they have to take it out and plant it on the reef, and cement it. They actually these days they use a little little cement to actually attach it to the reef. And that because coral is a living is a living thing. So we talked to, to Ken Needemeyer. So that's what he does. And then we talked to another guy, David, Doctor David Vaughn, and we visited his laboratory on Summerland Key. And he grows coral reefs sort of at warp speed because what he does is he, he does a process called fragmentation where he breaks up the coral reef, the coral into little bitty pieces, attaches them to like a something, like a, attaches them to something like a plate size of a size of a plate. And because they've been broken, they actually reproduce faster. And, and so younger, then
3: faster and younger. Because usually Coral would wait like a, a certain number of years before being able to reproduce. But he's not just doing it way quicker, but they're doing it. They're starting the process of reproduction way quicker. It was almost like cloning, I would call it in a way, but not quite cloning. That was just the way my simplistic brain could understand it. But uh Something like that, wasn't it, Liz?
2: Yes, yes, because the actual we we learned all about the sex life of the coral, but and but but the man with uh, a
3: million grandchildren. Is what yes, we Yes, so them.
2: basically, has a million grandchildren, and so so, but yeah, the the actual normal reproduction cycle, he said, is too slow. So, but when you break a coral, it it sort of it it's like when you break. He he used the analogy of when you have a scar on your on your skin this new skin grows over faster to heal it and so that's what happens with the coral so but then everybody you have to once you grow the coral then you have to attach it to the reef and one thing that they're doing in this Ken Niedermeyer's group is Reef Renewal USA if you're down if you're a scuba diver you can actually get involved in this you can get in touch with them And they will show you how to do it. And as if you go out on a scuba dive, they'll show you how to take some of these corals that they have started growing and attach them to the coral reef. And he said, it's just wonderful to see the reefs come back. He says, the fish come back. And he says, you know, they're out there working on the reef. He says, the fish, he certain fish, come up to them and they get recognize the fish. And um I know Jason was talking earlier about the abundance of fish in the keys, but they also have a lot of protections. You there's a lot of you can't just keep everything you catch. In fact, catch and release is the the main thing. If you're if you're going to catch one of those big sailfish or swordfish, uh you let it you catch it and you take a picture of it and you let it go and then They make a fiberglass model of it painted the way the fish is. And that's what you hang on your wall. Meanwhile, the fish is still out in the ocean swimming. And then, um, and then, but, and David Vaughn has gone all over the world teaching these techniques to, like in French Polynesia, because reefs all over the world need that help but then you can go experience the reef in many ways especially uh, I would say John Pennekamp Coral Reef State Park that's up in at Key Largo at the northern part of the keys and you can go scuba diving there you can go snorkeling normally they have a glass bottom boat you can take out and look at the reef you know above if you don't want to get your feet wet they they didn't have it when we were there but I think it's probably back in operation now and so there are lots of ways that you can experience the reef to see it. And I know I, I have scuba dived in the past, and just to see the glory, it's like, it's like being in, a, in a, an aquarium. If you ever had an aquarium as a kid, a tropical aquarium, it's like being in the tropical aquarium to see all that uh, firsthand. And they're making huge efforts to try to preserve that so that it's there for future generations. It's so comforting or inspiring. I'm not quite sure what the word is, but thinking about people like
0: David and Ken that are out there like doing this type of work every day. And, you know, this is just preserving these coral reefs, coming up with these the ability to kind of bring them back. Because we're always bombarded with negative news. I just love the thought when you hear these individuals that are doing this kind of work and thinking about how much that does for for an area and then for the planet because knowledge gets shared and everything like that. I think I always think it's really nice to remember and to hear those stories and that, and to know those people out there so i'm i'm uh, shouting out and saluting the unsung heroes like Ken and David who are doing their part to uh preserve the earth
3: the craziest part is they're not just developing these brand new like world brand new for the world techniques of restoring these reefs that are so important but they're also like having they're they're the ones that are creating the systems that now other people are using for other restoration efforts like there was no regulation that allowed them to go you know when they started it was like hey can i go put this coral that i've planted and created in the ocean and the go- local government is like, I don't know, we've never done this before. So they're like having to break these barriers and create these new systems that are going to be used in all sorts of places in the environment that we need to save it.
2: And the other thing is that it's, I mean, these guys are the f- are the front runners, yes, but it's the it's a philosophy throughout the Keys that the people who live there and hopefully the people who visit there also care. I mean, they all care about preserving this gorgeous environment. It is, it is a, it's just sort of in the atmosphere. This effort at cons- conservation, sustainability,
3: and it's just it's so vital because if the reefs go, the fish go, everything else goes.
2: And there tourism are no goes. Keys yeah, I mean the, that, that's exactly that's it. That's that they they the reefs are their lifeblood. So yeah, they've mm. got to preserve them. They know that.
0: We'll get back to the interview in just a moment. Sign up over there at zero2travel com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Now, back to the show. Are you ready for my number one? Yes. Mm. Because I do have a dream. Oh, It'll be A far-fetched dream. But one day I will achieve this dream. No, I do though. I, I've always wanted to swim with the dolphins or at least get close to the dolphins and touch them, but I want to do it where it's just like, I'm, you know, not where I go and pay to swim the dolphins. Like I'm going to talk about that in a second, but you know, like you're, you just happen to be in the ocean and all of a sudden like the magical moment happens and it's in the natural habitat and everything. And, you know, over the years I've come to be informed about, uh, just through the podcast and, and through my own reading uh, about some of these animal sanctuaries and things where it's just not, it's not really good for the animals. Right. I mean, I know like the elephants in Thailand and, you know, there's, there's a, whole, a lot of stuff around this and there's more and more is being exposed. And I'm always trying to encourage travelers on the show to just try to do their due diligence and, and really consider if these experiences are worth it. Like just to get a picture is like, are these animals getting taken care of and everything like that. But down in the keys, I know there's a dolphin research center. And I know in the write up it says we're, we're humans are guests in the dolphins home. And the dolphins rehabilitate people. And it just sounds like a, a whole different animal. Sorry, I had to use it. Then just like visiting a place where you swim with the dolphins in, in some country or whatever. And uh, yeah, I just, so I just kind of wanted to hear a bit more about the experience, getting close to the dolphins there, what, what that did for you on a personal level. I know people can go to dolphins.org, I believe, to learn about this place. I can't believe that they got that domain, by the way. Like, how did that happen? Can you talk about, that experience. And if you want to share some of the things I mentioned about visiting animals and that type of stuff, I'd love to hear a bit more about that specific place and how they kind of approach that stuff.
2: It was probably our favorite experience of the trip. Would you say, Jason, that was the highlight? Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yes, it is a place where dolphins rehabilitate people. You are a guest. That's the whole philosophy, this Mandy Rodriguez, who co-founded the Dolphin Research Center in 1984. There was a dolphin place there before, but it was but the the current Dolphin Research Center started in 1984. Actually that's where Flipper was. And the current dolphins, the two of the dolphins we met were actually descendants of Flipper
3: or flippers, should we say, flippers. I think there was a couple of flippers. They had there was some back Oh,
2: that's right. There was more than one flipper.
3: But they are they're all descendants of the flippers.
2: The flippers, the the flipper family. Yes. You are a guest in the dolphin's home. In fact, Mandy told us, you know, they think we bring them here for their entertainment because the whole philosophy is they don't have to do anything they don't want to do. Now they're I guess you might say trained in that there are They understand certain cues and all of that. But, like, they don't, if they don't do something, they don't get their food withheld. You know, they, it's very much on their terms. So, when we got there, I'll never forget when we, when we walked up. So, we're on this huge lagoon and there's like a wooden platform at the side of the lagoon and we're walking up to it. And there are these two dolphins there that they are looking up with such curiosity. It's like, oh, What humans have they brought us today? This is somebody new. Isn't this interesting? And their names were Pax and Talon. And they were both adorable, but I really fell in love with Pax. He was so cute. And they come up and, and again, it's all on their terms. He had me, Mandy Rodriguez had me hold my hand out at the edge of the pool. And then Pax came up and put his chin in my hand. It was just magical. And then and then they, w- they were talking all the time, just chittering. And you can hear it on the... Uh, Jason captured that recording. And I said, do you understand what they're saying? And Mandy says, no, not really. I mean, they, there is certainly a lot of communication between the humans and the dolphins, but it's mostly body language they don't get quite they haven't quite cracked the code of the of the sounds they make
3: but that was definitely something you could tell that was something that hit mandy that question hit him deep inside because he you could tell it would just mean the world to him if he could just open up and have an, an easy communication uh, conversation with those dolphins because you could tell they mean everything to him he he told us on the episode that uh, he's only here today because of dolphins and that's something that we mentioned earlier this was our favorite stop of the of the trip and it was it hit a like a, a chord with me that I didn't expect going in. They have a program there. You know, one of the taglines is that dolphins rehabilitate humans there. And they do. They have programs with veterans where they bring in veterans to um, to meet with the dolphins and because it does such... It helps them so much with their PTSD or other issues that they're having to connect with creatures like this because they're so hyper-intelligent. They're so strong. They're massive, massive creatures. You don't understand how large a dolphin is until it flops up on a platform next to you. And, you, you know, you can't even see from one end of it to the other, basically, without turning your head. It's wild the size of those things. But um, and that day in particular, I had uh, a lot of stuff on my mind because my dad was uh, who's a veteran, uh, a Vietnam veteran. He was going in for surgery due to service related uh, medical conditions. And Matt, Mandy is a veteran who was saved by dolphins. Uh, I brought him out of very dark places to work with them. And I think he picked up on that in one particular moment that like I was asking him a question about what it meant to the veterans that worked with the dolphins and he was talking about how they've saved people. And I just started tearing up. And he stopped the interview in that moment, came over and gave me a big hug. And I'm just desperately trying not to like get audio on the, you know, to get anything on the microphones to ruin the moment or anything like that. that he was having with, you know, Elizabeth, the actual host in the moment. Um, but he and he made such a point to to ask about my dad and what the situation was. Such a kind dude. And it's it it just really hit something deep inside to know that there are people that care so much about uh, helping veterans out of some of those very difficult dark places and uh yeah the work they do there is just incredible and you you can't help but feel that even just in those br- that brief time we got with those with the with the dolphins themselves just the 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 sheer amount of um character and intelligence and the personality the playfulness the the uh the little bit of um I don't know what would you call it um, snarkiness like they had a little yes. sarcasm and a little like, sassy a little like, sassy. sassy yeah they're not yeah. going to do what you want on the you know it's all on their terms and if they don't feel like it there's not a darn thing that those uh <laughs> the keepers are going to do about it because they are you know it, they they mentioned too you know every once in a while a hurricane comes and waves wash over the uh you know the sides of these uh safety enclosures and the dolphins could just swim away if they want do they no they they like exactly where they are they love it there they are treated so well and they treat their um the people they work with very, very well.
0: Well, thanks for sharing that. I'm so sorry to hear about your dad and uh it sounds like a really powerful moment. And I mean animals. It was powerful that... and he
3: he 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 is he's doing fine right now. He the surgery went very well. So it uh and that was uh, something that the, all the keepers that were passing along their best wishes. It's obviously a topic. Uh working with vets is very near near and dear to all of them. And uh he did he he got through the surgery great, so I'm. Um, send a big thank you to the dolphin research center for those uh, well wishes they worked.
0: Well, you guys hooked us up here because we have that episode and we're going to play it right after we wrap up here in a minute on the Florida keys traveler podcast. And this one is called how dolphins are saving humans in the Florida keys. This was my number one anyway. So I thought, well, let's play this episode because I want to hear the sound of the dolphins and the audio you captured and and get the story and the conversation. And it's definitely a great listen. So I think it's about 15 minutes. So you'll be transported to this, uh, to this place and you can check out the podcast. Yeah. Anything else you guys want to share here before we roll into that, either about that episode or just the podcast, feel free to to let people know.
2: Well, there's just, again, I think the, uh, the point we would like to make is that the keys is so much more than just what you maybe have heard about the keys, the cultural and It's such a rich history and culture, and you'll hear all about it on Florida Keys Traveler. And in particular, you know, when you leave the Florida mainland, the Keys are not like any place else on Earth. It's like you get into a whole different world just leaving the mainland of Florida, and you get on that highway. And it's like the the official – this is the official philosophy of the Florida Keys is one human family. So it doesn't matter what you did on the mainland. Doesn't matter whether you were rich or poor, what kind of car you drove. Nothing. It only matters what you do in the Keys. And there are people who come to the Keys. Maybe they're a businessman, PhD, whatever. They decide to leave their other like they 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 say you know I came for a weekend and I stayed for forty years. They quit their other jobs. They open a dive shop, and it's like all races. All genders, all uh, it, it was. Uh, the F- Key West was a pioneer in LGBTQ plus tourism, so everyone is welcome. All ethnic groups, all races. So it is that they, they really that philosophy permeates the keys. One human family, and also just getting on that overseas highway, you feel like anything is possible. I'll never forget a moment when and Jason and I had never met each other before we got together on this on on this project and it was instantly i think we instantly liked each other, but we were driving i think it was we were driving to our first interview on the overseas highway it's this band of pavement going through the and it's gorgeous ocean on either side and i was still am still you know in grieving because of the loss of my husband who died in 2021 but for the first time since Paul died when we were on that highway Jason I don't think you even knew this I just looked out at that and I thought okay Jason and I are doing this an amazing project and there's the open road ahead and there's sunlight and and gorgeous ocean multicolored blue on either side I suddenly felt like anything was possible and I think that's the magic of travel in general, and definitely, the magic of the Florida Keys. Wow! Thanks for sharing that. What a moment! Such a pleasure to chat
0: with you all, and I love I love that philosophy. That's such a great way to end it. We'll say thank you once again to Elizabeth and Jason. Thanks, thanks for being here and. Indulging me on this list, and and through that being able to explore some of the many wonderful things to see in the Florida Keys, which I will get to one day, so that can stop <laughs> bothering me. We'll roll right now into this episode: how dolphins are saving humans in the Florida Keys on Florida Keys Traveler podcast. Of course, we'll link up to all that in the show notes. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Dolphins totally changed my outlook on this world. I would have been a statistic had it not been for them. Dolphins. Saved my life, basically.
2: Emerald Islands and Cobalt Seas. Welcome to 200 Years of the Florida Keys. Hi there. I'm Elizabeth Harriman-Lasley. Welcome back to Florida Keys Traveler. As producer Jason Patton and I have traveled around the Florida Keys, we have found a great sense of community, neighbor helping neighbor, even when that neighbor might be a dolphin. Flipper started
1: here at Dolphin Research Center in the 60s. There were five flippers, not just one. Really? Flipper actually had stand-ins. So two of the flippers, Little Bit and Gippy, had an on-stage romance. So the tradition continues.
2: Mandy Rodriguez co-founded Dolphin Research Center in Marathon in 1984. Jason and I stand with him on a wooden platform at the side of a lagoon where two dolphins are swimming. Their names are Pax and Talon.
1: There are two brothers. They are a direct descendant of Flipper.
2: I mean, I have never seen a dolphin just come up and want to be with you, but that's kind of the point, isn't it? We are... We are in their space, because a lot of, I think, in the old days, maybe, a dolphin shows were performances, and it was for the two-legged people. But here, we're in their home, right?
1: You hit right smack on the nail why Dolphin Research Center is Dolphin Research Center. What we do here is exactly what you said, is these dolphins that live here with us are part of our lives... They're our family. They're our partners. We set out to have dolphins being looked at as not a circus star, but a really deep thinking, feeling. You know what? Dolphins don't kill other dolphins because they're a different color, or a different religion.
2: Makes who so does? Much, so much smarter than us.
1: So we ought to take a lot from their world and how they live their world in harmony with each other.
2: You actually say on the website that... The dolphins participate with the humans only if they choose to. What do you mean by that? Well, first
1: of all, let's take food. Food is given to them regardless of what they do. Their performance or their showing up does not mean anything. You're going to get your food regardless. Now, when we say they choose to interact, is we have a series of symbols. Every dolphin has their own different shape. Pretty much like when we go to a dinner party, you go around and you look at your plate, oh, there's my name, and I bet you you always look to your side, who's sitting next to me. Sometimes you go, oh, I don't want to do this. Sometimes it's wonderful. The same thing with them. They see a symbol, we put it in the water, and they come around and see, oh, I belong here. Oh, I may not want to sit next to that, you know what. But again, the food is always going to be there There's no food deprivation to make him do anything In fact, you can't make a dolphin do what they don't want 600 pounds of 9 feet of muscle, you can't So, Teresa with the Grand Dom
2: oh, oh, Look, he just did it One of them just did a backflip
1: <laughs> They're going to show off What do you mean? It's not about them A lot of people think that all dolphins can jump Guess what? No, not all dolphins can jump. Some are big jumpers, some are not. Some are thinkers, some are not. Some like to pay attention to our silly human things, some not really. So there are different dolphinalities. We have our own, they have their own. And they're as different as you and I.
2: And you learn all about that here at the Dolphin Research Center. And you may hear some announcements in the background because it's actually open to the public. You can see some guests, I guess you would call them, because they are the guests of the dolphins, right? And they're not going to come into the water unless the dolphin wants them in there, is that right? Well, actually, tell us about some of the dolphin encounters that you offer to the public. Sure.
1: First let me tell you that dolphins think that we capture all the humans on a daily basis for their entertainment. (laughs) So, it's not the other way around. Now, our job is to introduce the public to these wonderful animals and let them see and let them make their own choice. Not what somebody's telling them, not what somebody's spouting that they know this and that. Let them make their own choice about A, what we do and B, about these animals. We, as humans, need to respect them. We need to protect them. They're a window into our lives.
2: Hi there, guys. They're coming up to see us. OK, now, which one is this?
1: This, I, is, well, this is Tal. That's Tal. So you can see these guys are fairly big. Yeah. This family is tall. Here's another dolphinality, mm-hmm. at different. There's some short dolphins. There's some tall dolphins, just like us. Now, the Talon or the Terci flipper lineage are very tall, and they're aerialist. They love going up in the air. I would love, before I die, to be able to do one dive up in the air like dolphins. I don't think so, but (laughs) I'll try. As a matter of fact, we're gonna ask Pats to come on over. Hey, Patsy, come on over, buddy. Hi, big guy. Hi, Pats. Do you wanna come meet him? What do you say, huh? Are you sure? Are you sure about this? You hey, want to come Pax. a little closer?
2: Yes, hi. If you offer
1: your palm up like that. You
2: know,
1: <gasps> touch Doesn't I feel wonderful? I touched
2: a dolphin. <gasps> Pax, it is so nice to meet hey, you. Hey,
1: Pax, can you use that blowhole?
2: There you go. Thank you for letting me into your world. And look I at those
1: beautiful it, eyes. You are so beautiful. And see the little dimple behind the eye? I do. That's her ear. <gasps> yeah. Hi. And so can you turn? <gasps> hi.
2: Can you turn Aww. over? Hi. There's a
1: belly button. We all oh. have a belly button in their genital area.
2: He's on his back. He's floating on his back.
1: Good. She just said, she blew that whistle and said, perfect. You want to go? Oh, well, you can go to him.
2: Oh, Jason, I i him in love. He's now, so adorable.
1: What I'd like to do is next time ask him over and ask him to come up. Now, dolphins are like icebergs in a way. You only see one third of them. But when you see the whole thing out of the water, you realize how big and beautiful and powerful they are. You take attention for a minute? You ready? Come on up. Now, look at this beautiful, beautiful
2: boy. Hi there. You are so beautiful. He's holding his tail up. Hi. Say yes. Bye. And he went back down. Oh, gosh. And then he goes over to the other place. Now, oh, he's you can adorable. appreciate
1: their size and their yes. strength. Yes.
2: And t- he's talking all the time. To- can you understand what he's saying?
1: I wish I could.
2: <laughs> I know.
1: You can kind of, the inflection, yeah. you can You can tell. But this is hopefully one day before I pass away, I'll be able to to know at least some of it. Because we've always been telling them what to do. It's time for them to tell us.
2: I think we could learn so much from them.
1: You're absolutely correct. (laughs) It's wild. It seems like they understand you perfectly. Does that make them a little smarter than us in a way? You said that, and you're probably correct. Most of our communication comes from our body, so they read us really, really well. And maybe a little bit of an inflection, a little bit of a couple of words, because they do understand the spoken language. We proved that.
3: I've never seen a little up this close before. And the blowhole is just something that I never really thought about. What is the advantage to having it on their head
1: like that? Well, if you're if you're breathing in the ocean, it would be good not to have to pick up your entire head to breathe. And that blowhole is so specialized. Matter of fact, we'll call them over and have them make different sounds. Can you send him over? Ha! And this is again, this is what we say. They don't have to pay attention all the time.
2: Is it Pax that's, that's floating pretty, there? Yeah,
1: he said, I don't, I don't, uh, this is what I want to do now. I and think, that's fine.
2: And maybe he's showing off for us, uh, you know?
1: Oh Talon is coming over, the brother, the older brother. <laughs> hey! All right, big guy, can you come up here? It's can nice. Can you do to this sound? Okay. All right. Good. Can you do this sound? Good. Wait, can you do this one? Uh-huh. Uh, are you sure? That's great. Thank you. Can you go back? to So, it's a lip that they manipulate, just like our balloon when we were kids. So, if they they can't
3: have such control over their vocalizations, have you ever
1: met a dolphin with an accent? That's a curious question. I don't know. <laughs>
2: Maybe when you learn the language more, you'll find Maybe
1: I'll know a little bit of a dialect. (laughs) But again, you heard those sounds, and those sounds, when they echolocate, they're little little tiny to for lack of a better name, where all that information goes through the inner ear and the brain. What information? We don't know. Our sonar and submarines have imitated their sonar, but we still don't know, and between every click, there's so much information that we have no idea what they're saying.
2: There. You're back. Is that Pax? Paxie. Hi, Pax. Don't tell Talon, but you're my favorite. No,
1: you're not. <laughs> okay? But you are going to tell him, right? Yeah, I'm sure you are. Here you go back.
2: What have the dolphins taught you?
1: What have the dolphins taught me? Tolerance. Dolphins saved my life, basically. Tell when I was in my 20s, um, I, I'm still a Marine. We're never ex-Marines. Hooray, yes. um, I came back from Vietnam when I was just 20, with my head screwed on backwards. And um, dolphins totally changed my outlook on this world. I would have been a statistic had it not been for them. They say, well, dolphins are magic. No, they're not. All animals are magic. We humans just don't pay attention. They're talking to us all the time, but we don't pay attention. And so if you pay a little bit of attention, you'll see animals talking to you. Well, dolphins, just as we say, my rubber band was wound tight, they unwound it slowly. And so, in seeing that and seeing what they did for me, we turned around to Wounded Warrior. We've been doing it ever since.
2: I think it's wonderful. So you offer, you still offer that program to veterans? Correct,
1: yes. Just a couple of three days ago, we had uh, 20 folks. There are 10 couples. One of the couples was afflicted with post-traumatic stress, and they were kind of growing apart. They come and spend three days here, and the dolphins and the sunshine and the, the ocean water and this whole atmosphere the Dolphin Research Center has— starts the healing, starts to center you. Um, and it's obviously very special to me and very close to my heart. But you see a difference. Uh, can you palpate it? Maybe not. Can you point to it and say that's it? Maybe not. Uh, I, can't, I can't point to mine other than that these animals basically healed, healed me. And, and that's, that's a lot to say.
2: As we talk at the edge of the lagoon, Pax decides to show off. He, he did a somersault and we got wet. <laughs>
1: the, the power in that oh, is is amazing.
2: But again, it's not a circus act. He's doing it because he wants he to be in yeah. yeah, and he enjoys it.
3: Do they ever uh, splash humans for fun? Absolutely. <laughs>
2: I mean this is their playground. This is this is I mean mean, I'm getting this is their house.
1: This is their house. They have more going on in that gray melon, beautiful melon of theirs than humans a lot of humans know. And this is what we need to bring the word is we need to respect these animals, revere these animals. They're they're amazing. And we should we should actually take a lesson from them.
2: Oh I think just coming here you take a lesson from them, just being here.
1: Thank you so much. My pleasure.
2: Thank you for joining us. You've been such a nice companion. Will you... Bye, Pax. He's
1: waving goodbye. Okay.
2: <laughs> Next episode, we'll head to a place where another kind of rescue is happening. Humans saving sea turtles. Thank you to Mandy Rodriguez, his team of trainers, and Pax and Talon at Dolphin Research Center. To learn more, check out dolphins.org. This information is in the show notes as well. For more on the Florida Keys, go to flakeys.com. To call from the United States or Canada, dial 1-800-FLAKEYS or contact your travel advisor. This episode was produced by Armchair Productions, the audio experts for the travel industry. I'm Elizabeth harriman Lastly, I presented the show. Jason Patton did the field recording and co-produced it, along with me, Aaron Miller, and Jenny Allison. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.